0: Shalom and welcome to a voice calling in the wilderness, a trumpet call, a voice crying out loud for God to those that would hear, so they would run to him that they might be warned. We are here surrounding the alarm that our time here on earth is short and that we have no time to waste. Here we will expose the truth, teach the word, discuss the dangers, lies, and enemies we are surrounded by and how to engage in the war that we're standing in the middle of. Today, we're talking with Pastor Joe French. He has an incredible story and has lived a life filled with miracles and blessings. His story is inspiring and is a demonstration of, in trusting God and watching Him go to work, how we can all be blessed. Welcome to the show, Pastor French. Thank you.
1: Yes, if I uh, would like to say at the beginning of this that as I give my testimony, We have to give all the glory to God and not to me because I don't have the abilities to be able to do what I did. It was because of God working through me. And I was always amazed, actually, just how much God was able to do with me once I committed myself completely into his hands and was able to travel around different parts of the world as he directed because he always supplied the way. Originally, uh, I... uh, I was born in Birmingham, England in the slums and grew up um, in a very poor house. I joked about it often by saying we were so poor the mice used to bring us food parcels, but uh, you get tired of cheese after three months. (laughs) And uh, I I was in my twenties when I was working as an engineer in a factory in the middle of Birmingham working on machines that turned out cases for bullets for the Army and uh, for the Air Force and Navy. We had to work to three thousandths of an inch, so it was very fine work. And while I was in there, I met this lady uh, called Florence Winifred Degville-Hayes with a hyphen, and uh, she came into work and I kind of liked her. In fact, not just liked her, I liked her a lot. (laughs) And I got to know her and we got married. And uh, when, when we got married, when we came back from our honeymoon, we didn't have hardly any money at all, so we rented a house, one room up, one room down, in an old Georgian house in the middle of Birmingham that had no running hot water, no inside toilet, and uh, all kinds of other things that were wrong with it, and we stayed there for about one and a half years, and we were looking for a house because we have been working hard and saving our money, and uh, we went around, and we uh, finally found a house. It was a place called 41 Delhurst Road in the middle of Birmingham. Really nice house. As soon as we walked in of there, I don't really have ever done this, but we felt at home. And I said to my wife, "How do you like this?" And she said, "I love it. And I said, I think this is the one we ought to have." And so I got in touch. Cell phones were not around in those days. Of course, I said, you know, I lived in the age when we were still on candles. We hadn't got the electricity in yet, but we weren't quite that bad. But um, I had to go and find a phone box, one of those red pillar box boxes, <laughs> things, put two pennies in there, large pennies, and call the man who was handling the sale of it. And he said, you found a house. And I told him the address, and he said, I'm sorry, it was sold last week. We were very disappointed. And so I, uh, I said, all right, well, we'll just have to look for another. And we spent another three weeks looking Finally found another house. We didn't like it as much, but uh, I got on the phone and told him, we've found another house. We don't like it quite as much as 41 Delhurst. He said, would you still like that one? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, the man actually bought it, got it all, everything arranged, and he's ready to move in next week. He said, now his firm has suddenly decided to move him over uh, to another part of the country. He said, so if you want to buy it, you'll have to buy it off him who's never lived in it. He said, it's a peculiar arrangement. He said, but I can arrange it for you. I said, do it because we really like that house. So we moved in. And when we moved in, the next door neighbor came. We had a semi-detached house. I think you called them a duplex here. And uh, around around to our house comes Doreen from next door with a tray of, of tea and sandwiches to welcome us into the district. And as soon as we sat down with her, because we had no furniture in the house, we sat on the floor and we started talking. One of the first things she said to us was, do you know Jesus Christ as your own personal savior? And I looked at Winnie and she looked at me and we thought, well, we've really got, you know, somebody with a screw loose or a tile off the roof. Uh, Very peculiar. No, 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 we don't know anything about that. Or she said, I'm saved and my husband's saved, and he was healed of polio myelitis by the Lord. She said, I'll tell you all about it. And I thought, not if I can help it. And uh, so my wife went round to get her hair done uh, in this new area where we were. And the lady said, you're new in the area, aren't you? And she said, yes. She said, where are you living? She said, Delhurst Road. You're not anywhere near to Doreen Stocker, are you? She said, yes, she's our next door neighbor. She said, could you do us a favor? Would you ask her to go somewhere else to get her hair done? Because every time she comes in here, all she talks about is Jesus. And that's what we found out. Um, We used to see the mailman come and stand at the end of the driveway and look to see whether Doreen was around before he would come up because she would grab him and tell him about Jesus. And the milkman did the same kind of thing. And every day, Doreen told us about Jesus, how wonderful he was. One day, my wife was out shopping, and it's also, it was, it's rather a peculiar situation because every time my wife went shopping, Doreen happened to be going in the same direction. And they were in Woolworths, and Doreen was telling her about how wonderful Jesus is and what a life it is to have him in your life. And my wife got a hold of her by the coat lapels and lifted her up off the floor because she was only a small lady. And she said to her, Doreen, I'm tired of you telling me about these things. She said, I don't want to hear any more about Jesus. Please go away and don't bother me anymore. And Doreen looked at her with a big smile. She said, but will you come to church tomorrow? You know." And so, so my wife said to her, look, Doreen, uh, if I come with you tomorrow, will you promise that you'll never talk to me again about Jesus? She said, yes, I will. So she said, Well, we didn't have a car, but Doreen's husband did. And so they said, we'll pick you up tomorrow night and take you to church. So we went, my wife went to church. I stayed home and uh, I had a bottle of beer and no television in those days, but we did have a radio. So I listened a little bit to the radio and did a bit of reading and I drank my beer and felt very happy. And my wife came home and I said, what did you think? She said, they're all headed for the lunatic asylum. She said, they're in a church. She said, they clapped their hands because she had been brought up in a in a, in a, a home, an orphanage which was run by Catholic nuns. And they weren't the kind of nuns that you find in The Sound of Music, you know. <laughs> um, so um, my wife had had a hard time with them, and uh, but she was used to that kind of church where the priest did all the things and you just did re-entry re- uh, to it. So she said, no, she said, these people, she said, they shout hallelujah and praise the Lord and they clap their hands and, and she said, the music is loud and she said, the people sing very loud. And so she said, uh, I, I've been now, Doreen won't bother me anymore. Monday morning came, guess who else came? Doreen, Winnie, did you enjoy the service yesterday? No, I did not. Well, what was, uh, you know, you, you you have to realize that You've only done it once," she said. "You're not used to it," she said. "You have to come twice to give it a fair chance," you know. So, so my wife said to her, "Look, Doreen, you did say you wouldn't bother me again." "Yes, I know," she said. "But you know, once isn't that much, is it?" she said. "Um, all right," said my wife. Uh, "I'll I'll go again next Sunday, but that's the very last time," you promise. So, my, so Doreen said, "Yes." What we didn't know is she got two hundred 50 people at the church praying for us, all right? And so my wife is getting ready and I'm sitting there watching And Now, my wife had told me what it was like and I thought, it sounds rather amusing, actually, people, you know, <coughs> kind of clapping and shouting out and so on and so forth. And I haven't got anything to do. Um, I've run out of money. I only had one little bottle of beer and all my friends have got other things to do. I thought it'd be a fun, I think, to go. So I said asked Doreen if it'd be all right if I came. So she went round and asked Doreen, and I said, what happened? She said, I think she turned three somersaults. And uh, so uh, we went off to church, and I listened to everything that went on. I didn't understand the word because I'd never been to church in my life. I'm in a in a country that's supposed to be Christian, never read a Bible, didn't have a Bible in the house that I grew up in. Uh, we drank a lot and swore a lot and cursed a lot and fought a lot. But, uh, Never went to church. So um, I said, I'll, I'll go. And I, I listened to everything. I didn't understand hardly anything that went on. But I found out when I went back to work on the Monday, I kept thinking about that meeting, kept thinking about the things that were done, the things that were the way the people sang, the way they praised the Lord, the way they shouted, and the way they enjoyed, and the way they looked, and so on. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. So lo and behold, when Saturday came around, Doreen's out in the backyard and I poked my head over the fence and I said, Doreen, do you think it would be all right if I came to church with you this Sunday? (laughs) You can imagine Doreen, you know, I mean, she did a triple double back flip, I think. And uh, so she said, yes. So I went in and told my wife I'm going to church on Sunday. She said, you must be mad. So she said, I'm coming along to make sure they don't do anything to you, she said. So so she came along and I went there and this time I began to hear a few things that were making a little sense to me. So the next week while I'm at work, I'm still thinking about these meetings. I'm thinking about what was said, what was preached. And I went again. The third week, and my wife came along to make sure they didn't indoctrinate me too much or do anything special to me. And so um, that, that second week, um, I, I just couldn't keep that m- uh, meeting out of my mind. And uh, so Doreen was still coming around every day and telling us about Jesus. And so I told her, I said, I think I'll come one more time. And she said, good, you know. So my wife came with me. At the end of that service, the light suddenly went on. And I, I, I suddenly felt the, the presence of God And I knew that it was real. I didn't understand it, but I knew that what was happening in there was real. And I went down and knelt down at the front of the church, and they took me into a back room where they said, you can pray for as long as you like, but pray through till you know that God has met you. And that's different to what they do today. They do a lot of this business of raise your hand and say this little prayer after me. And I think actually it's dangerous because you can inoculate people against Christianity because people try it and it doesn't make a difference in their lives. And then later on when somebody says, would you like to come to church? No, I've already tried it. It doesn't work. You know, Mm -hmm. it's dangerous. Now, in revivals, you'll find out people just don't come forward and say one little prayer like, Jesus, please forgive me. Amen. Uh, And that's it. They really get down to prayer until God meets them. And it was so with me. When I got off my knees out of that back room and walked up the aisle towards where my wife was work, waiting at the back of the church, I felt like I was walking three feet off the ground. Oh. And uh, I was full of smiles and my wife said to me, what are you smiling for? I said, I just feel like I've been cleansed on the inside as well as the outside. I said, I feel wonderful. She said, she said you must be going nuts. And uh, she didn't talk to me all the way home. Uh, and so we went home. Now the usual thing was when we went into the house after being anywhere, she would pour me a glass of whiskey, a full glass of whiskey and I would drink it. And we would also light a cigarette each and and smoke it. So she pours me the whiskey and I put it up to my mouth and the smell smelled so awful I couldn't drink it. And I put it down on the side and my wife said, What's wrong with that? And I said, I don't know. I said, just doesn't feel right. She lit two cigarettes and gave me one. I took one drag and I threw the rest into the fireplace. We had a coal fire. And she said, what are you wasting that for? And I said, I don't like the taste of it. Now, something quite extraordinary happened to me that week because I went back to work. Now, I'm working in a factory where the women are as bad as the men. The language turns the air blue Mm. and, uh, you know, they're coarse and Mm -hmm, there's mm -hmm. nothing refined about them, uh, the men nor the women. So I'm working on, I I have charge of 18 machines which I have to keep running and refurbishing and and so on and they're supposed to be kept running for seven years at least. And so I'm running up and down and the uh, girl is loading up the hoppers with the blanks and then they go down into the machine and they cut into the shape of the bullet casings. And uh, they have a checker on there who has to check them so that she's working to three thousandths of an inch all the time, and if any of them vary at all, she would swear at me. She wouldn't just say, Joe, this one isn't working. She'd call me all kinds of things and say, you don't know how to run these so-and-so things, and she said, "You, you we ought to get somebody on here that knows how to do this, so-and-so, and the language is, you know, terrible, and I would swear back at her. I'd say, you don't know what so-and-so you're talking about, and so on and so on. Well, that first week after I'd made that decision went by, and on the Friday, lady comes up to me and she said, what's wrong with you? And I said, "Uh, nothing. Why? She said, there's something wrong with you. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said, there's nothing wrong with me. She said, oh, yes, there is. I said, look, if you're going to tell me that there's something wrong with me, tell me what it is. She said, do you know you haven't sworn at me once this week? Now, I hadn't made any decision not to swear. Mm -hmm. Nobody had told me I shouldn't swear. God had cleaned out my mouth. God works from the inside out, not the outside in. Cleans you up on the inside and it begins to take effect on the outside. It's, It's in the book of Romans, chapter 12, where it says, you know, we're to present our bodies wholly acceptable unto God and be... Change, metamorphized, was the idea of the caterpillar that's changed into a butterfly. Mm. And the change comes because something happens inside the butterfly that brings out, inside the the caterpillar that brings out the butterfly. And that's how God works with us. See, the world, the world tries its very best to change us from the outside. And it can't, because only God can change from the inside out. And so, uh, my life began as a Christian. Now, my wife rebelled against it at first. For six months, she uh, tried to stop me from going to church. She tried to stop me from reading the Bible. And uh, she, uh, she uh, uh, would uh, do everything to stop me going out back with Doreen. Uh, Doreen wanted to take me off to church every Sunday, of course, with her husband. And my wife wouldn't go, and she didn't want me to go. And then something quite wonderful happened. I used to play soccer, football, and I was the captain of a team, an amateur team. And I was out one Saturday afternoon playing football, and when I got home, my wife was sitting in the back room of our home, 41 Delhurst Road, and she was crying, tears streaming down her face. And I said, what's happened? She said, I had a visit from Jesus. I said, pardon? She said, I had a visit from Jesus. I said, what happened? She said, I was sitting here thinking what a mess my life had been. My mother died when I was four months old. My father disappeared and we've never found out what happened to him. I was put into an orphanage. I spent 16 years of misery in there. When I came out, I'd lived in rented rooms and just gone from pillar to post all the way around. She said, I finally found you and I thought we've got a life at last. And she said, now you've gone and got converted, so-called, and now you've become religious, she said, and my whole life is falling apart again. And she said, I'm sitting here feeling sorry for myself when suddenly a voice said to me, Winnie, stop crying. I'm here to help you. And she said, who? There's nobody else in the room, she said. And a voice said, it's Jesus. I'm here to help you. She said, Jesus told me to kneel down and ask him to forgive and he would make my life something worthwhile. She said, and I did. She said, I know that I'm saved. She said, I have that same feeling that you did. She said, I know that I'm born again. So I ran around and told told Doreen. I went in and said to Doreen, Doreen, when he's got saved, she said, I don't believe it. I said, uh, honestly, I said, uh, she's, she said, how in the world did that happen? I said, Jesus visited with her. She said, I don't believe it. Did you know? She said, I can't believe that Winnie, as stubborn as she was, she said, let me come round and meet with her. And so she came round and she grabbed a hold of Winnie and here's these two ladies dancing around in the middle of the room, you know, celebrating <laughs> the fact that my wife had got saved. And, and so we became part of the church And life went on. And I started, actually, I was invited. I was told by the pastor that I was with that um, uh, one day I would go out into the ministry. Now, I was quite a a quiet person at the time. I didn't like to be up front. Standing in front of a crowd would have terrified me. And so I said, no, no, that will never happen to me. And I, I kind of prayed about it. And I said, Lord, two things I don't want to be. I don't want to be an astronaut and I don't want to be a preacher. And, uh. I definitely didn't want to, but a preacher got hold of me one Sunday and said, I want you to go out to this little church. And he said, get get a sermon together. And he said, "Uh, go and preach. So I said, are you certain about this? And he said, yeah. So uh, he said, God's got his hand on you. And I said, well, you've seen something I can't see. And so I went off to that church. There was eight little old ladies in there, and they sat on a bench in a rented room, and I took enough notes that if I'd just read them all, we'd have been there till Christmas. And this was, you know, sometime in the middle of the year. And so halfway through what I was reading, basically, I wasn't preaching. I was just reading what I'd put the notes down. And I'd, I'd had a book. I'd had a, a, a Bible. I'd had an encyclopedia. I had, a, you know, all kinds of books to help out. And I put all this stuff together, and I hoped it was Okay. And halfway through, I heard this whistle from over on the side. And one lady turned to the other one and she said, shall we make the tea now or wait till he finishes? You know? So so I was kind of depressed by that whole thing. And when I went back, I told the the preacher, I said, "Uh, don't send me out on any more of those. I said, I "I didn't do anything. And he said, said, you're just starting. He said, don't bother me. Well, actually, over the next years, I gradually got involved, and I had a, a young man in the church about my same same age as me in his late 20s, um, Tom, uh, Mark Finney. Uh, he always used to quote that scripture from the book of Psalms, Mark, the perfect man, which didn't mean him, you know, but he took it that he did. And uh, so uh, he, he really knew his Bible. He came from a brethren background who, who studied the Word, and he used to come to our house once a week in the evening, and he'd spend the whole evening with me going through the Bible and teaching me things. And I also uh, was in touch with a man who had started a Bible Institute in Birmingham, the Birmingham Bible Institute, Brash Bonsell, And uh, he encouraged me to go and talk with him on occasions. So I used to go up there. Gradually, I was getting more and more involved, and I was getting more and more bookings to do weekend preachings. And uh, I said, it's okay. But I said, uh, I'm just doing it part time, you know, just to help these little churches out. I mean, some churches like had about 12 people in them and some of them had about 40. Uh, no, never much more than that. But, you know, I was happy to do it and I was happily received. One or two of West Indians had moved into Birmingham after World War II and I got involved with three or four of their churches. And uh, two of them said to me, You're going to start out in the ministry full time one day. And you'll start in the West Indies. And I said, that's just because you come from the West Indies. That's why you're saying that. No, no, that's what God's shown us. Uh, you know, and I said, no, well, he hasn't shown me. I said, he knows where my, ad- he's got my address. He hasn't lost it. He's got my <laughs> telephone number. He hasn't lost that. I said, and he knows that I can listen to him. So when he tells me, that would be different than you telling me. But the thing went on, and I gradually asked for God to give me signs that these things would happen. One day I said to the Lord, I said, I want to. I want you to give me two signs that you want me in the ministry full time. I said, number one, show me that my ministry would be effective because I don't think it would. I'm not the kind of person to stand up in front of a crowd of people and be able to blabber for, you know, 40 minutes or whatever. And uh, so I said, show me that it, my ministry would work. Well, the church we belong to, I haven't got time to go into it now, but... It was actually run by two ladies who never got married, who dedicated their lives to serving God. Took an old, bummed-out Baptist church and restored it, most of it themselves, building it, and and started it up. And in no time at all, they had a church of five hundred people, and uh, it was a great, great church and had great meetings. And uh, I was sitting in the church one Sunday when I wasn't out preaching, and. Uh, So I'm I'm waiting for the service to start at 6.30, and it's about 10 past 6. I looked at my watch. I said, well, we've just got a little time to work. Suddenly, Miss Fisher, one of the ladies, comes up and stoops down by the side of me, sitting in the pew, taps me on the shoulder and says, Joe, could you do us a favor? And I said, depends on what it is. She said, could you preach for us tonight? She said, you know that uh, me and uh, the other lady, Miss Reeves, we don't preach. We don't believe in women preachers. That back in those days and uh, she said but we do have guest speakers in every Sunday she said the man who was supposed to be coming tonight has just phoned to say he can't make it she said immediately he said that your name popped into my head I said I wonder who put it there uh, <laughs> which side it came from up or down <laughs> you know so she said come on she said you can do it I said look I said it's Ten ten minutes before the service starts. I said, in less than half an hour I was supposed to be up on there preaching. I, I didn't come prepared, you know. I'm I'm not I'm not ready. I said, What am I gonna do? She said, You can do it, you can do it. She said, Praise the Lord, and off she goes. You know, that was Miss Fisher. Um so I, I, I sit there and I'm praying like crazy. Lord, what scripture shall I use? What shall I, what, shall, what shall I do? How do I start in the thing? How do I go through? How do I finish? What do I, I don't know, you know. I get up on the, on the speaker's rostrum and I stand in front of the microphone and a scripture comes to mind and I quote it and I start preaching. I have no idea to this day what that scripture was, and I don't know exactly how I preached, but I know I went for 40 minutes. (laughs) And at the end, I made an appeal. Now, in those meetings the weeks before, apparently, there'd been very few people who had come forward for salvation. I made the appeal, 13 people came down to the altar. Miss Fisher was over the moon. She said, I knew I was right. I knew I was right. She said, when I, when, I, when I knew that man wasn't coming, I knew I had to choose you. That was wonderful, she said. Great anointing. And so that was proof to me that the Lord had shown me the ministry would be effective. I said, all right. How am I going to go? I said, because I don't have anybody backing me. I don't have any organization. I don't have any way of going. I said, how am I going to live? Now, I had read books about people who had started things without any money, without any backing, uh, and God had supplied the way. Men of faith. Um, The Birmingham Bible Institute, for instance, that was one that was started like that. The Bible College of Wales was started like that. Uh, I knew of other instances. If you've ever kind of read the story of George Mueller, Uh, The uh, man who came from Germany and started up orphanages in England forbade any of his staff ever to ask for money or tell people if they were short of money, everything had to come in by prayer. And he ended up with over 3,000 orphans that they used to pray the the money in and the food in and the supplies in and everything they needed and they forbade anybody to do anything about raising money for it. It had to come in because God you moved on people to send the money in or send the supplies in. I'd, I'd read about those, and I said, well, Lord, I know you can do it, but is that the way you want me to go? If it is, I'll do it, but prove it to me. So I said, provide a way for us to travel wherever you want me to start. Well, I'd been told four or five times, you'll start in the West Indies and you'll start in the island of Grenada. So I said, all right. Prove it to me. Well, a couple of weeks after I asked the Lord that, we're in bed. It's 2:30 in the morning. The doorbell rings. I go downstairs. There's a man standing there, quite a large man, and he said, "Can I come in?" And I said, "Depends. What? Uh, what are you here for?" He said, "I'm a born-again Christian." He said, uh, "And uh, and God sent me to talk to you." I said, "Oh." I said, "Well, come on in." Now we have had an open house for people who were in the ministry traveling evangelists, uh, people who were missionaries, whatever ministries they might have. If, uh, if the, any of the churches in Birmingham needed a place for somebody to stay, or they could always send them to the Frenchies. We actually handed out keys to the house so that if we weren't there, and people came into the country, uh, they could let themselves in. And one day we were up in Scotland ministering, and uh, we came down and found a, a couple from uh, Hungary. When the Hungarian uh, revolution began, they they came out of the country, and I had a man, his wife, and a little child in the house, and they'd been in there two weeks, uh, you know, helping themselves. You know, uh, we never met them before, and so we were introduced to them. That was the way we lived. So this man comes in, and he said, "My my name," he said, "is Keith Hampshire," and he said, "I work for the Queen." My wife had come downstairs by now and had a house coat on and she said, I was standing there and saying, pull the other leg, it's got bells on. That was, <laughs> that was, a, that was the way she responded to him. Uh, she didn't say it out loud, but that was what she was saying inside, you know. So he sat down and she went and made tea and we sat there and he said, uh, I've come to pl- pay your first part of your travels around wherever the Lord sends you around the world. And he said, I'm going to write you a check out tomorrow morning. And he said, you'll start by going to the West Indies. I said, who told you? He said, God did. How can you argue with somebody like that? You know. So the next morning after he uh, had a sleep and, and had some breakfast, he gets ready to, to go out. Now, our porch didn't have a porch light at the time. So at 2.30 in the morning when I let him in, I hadn't seen what he arrived in. But now he's getting ready to leave. I say, what's parked behind my car? I've got a Mini. And right behind my car is a Rolls Royce. And I said, that looks new. He said, I only picked it up, he said, three weeks ago. He said, it's a Rolls Royce Mark II, Silver Cloud. And he said, it's only got a few miles on it. He said, would you like to drive it? I said, would a bird like to fly, would a fish like to swim? (laughs) Of course I would like to drive it. So he said, where can we go? Well, right then they just opened up one of the new motorways in England where, you know, you have like freeways. Uh And uh, so the motorway, the M6 had just opened, which went from Birmingham all the way up to Scotland. And there was very little traffic on it at that time when it first opened up. So he said, can we get on it? And I said, it's just down the road, three miles. And he said, let's go then. So I get in there and I said, when we're driving up our street, which was quite a long one to get out onto the main roads. Um, I was sitting up very tall in the seat because I wanted all the neighbors to see that I was driving a Rolls Royce. (laughs) The only time I ever did. So we get out on the motorway and he said, let's see what it'll do. So I put my foot down and I looked down at the speedometer and I'm doing 165 miles an hour. He said, I think you better slow down because he said, these cars are very heavy. And he said, it takes a lot of stopping. So I slowed down and we got off as an exit and turned around and went back to the house. And he left. He put a check down for a few hundred pounds and I looked at it and it's got his name on. It's got the address of the bank and the phone number in London. What was the first thing I did? I picked up a phone and I phoned the bank, all right? And I say, could I speak to the manager? What's it about? It's about one of your people who bank with you. Uh, who's that? I said, Mr. Keith Hampshire. Oh, yes. All right, I'll get the manager. So the manager comes on. He said, what's this about Mr. Keith Hampshire? I said, he'd given me a check. He said, so? I said, well, I said, it's for this much. It's quite a lot. I said, is it all right? He said, he happens to be a multimillionaire. I said, oh, okay. I said, thanks very much. (laughs) 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 So we got ready. And I had that job that uh, I said that was you know for life with the firm I was working for and I just signed a few a couple of years before for life to work with them and uh, my wife had a, a job for life working for the government she worked with handicapped children um, and uh, so uh, I, we both gave up our jobs and we sold the house and we paid up, our, up, up all our debts and we had very little left over And we arranged, I got a boat that was going out of uh, England over to the West Indies. And we booked on the boat. And uh, think about this now. When we walked out of 64 Berkswell Road on that February in 1963, in, in March, I'm sorry, March of 1963, we had nothing to go back to. The home had gone, our jobs had gone. Uh, Everything that we had that we'd accumulated, it's all gone. We're out there on our own. We are absolutely dependent on God, totally, utterly. We arrived in in Grenada and uh, it was one of the first stops. We arrived in Grenada and we got off the boat and I'm standing on the shore with my wife and uh, I'm thinking to myself, what in the world have I done? I mean I'm on an island I've never been before I don't know a single person here we don't have anywhere to stay and I don't have the first inkling of what I'm supposed to do now I'm here I mean what a what a wonderful start to a new adventure <laughs> and i'm I'm beginning to feel a bit deflated and I'm standing there wondering what do I do next I was trying to think you know what what's where's the exit where's the escape <laughs> <laughs> where where's the parachute and There isn't anything. We're standing there just for a few minutes, and a car draws up, and a man says, can I help you folks? I said, I think. Now, notice the the wordings. I didn't say I know. I said, I think God has sent me here to preach the gospel, but we don't have anywhere to stay. Well, he said, praise the Lord. He said, the South will look after you. And I said, oh, they will? He said, yeah, throw your suitcase in the back. And, you know, we put our two soakers in the back of the car. And off we drive. And he drives us down to where there's a group of little stores. And and this one store where they sold all kinds of things like pieces of fish, pieces of uh, pigs, pieces of cows, uh, all sorts of different things. Um, The smells were kind of mixed and unavoidable. Uh, <laughs> there were lots of flies around. And uh, we we were invited in. And the South Farley said, you can stay with us as long as you like, and we will look after you. And so we said, well, what an answer to prayer, you know. And so we stayed with the South Farley's. And for two days, my wife got in with the lady and helped her in the kitchen with the, with the baking and cleaning and various things. I sat... On a chair on a little balcony outside the bedroom window there was only n- enough room for two people. And I sat in on that chair and watched all the people going by underneath. And I kept saying to the Lord, what am I supposed to be doing here? How do I get to those people? How do I preach the gospel to them? Do I just go out on the street and start preaching? Do I find a place where I can start? Is there a, 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 an open place? Uh, what do I do? What do I do? We didn't know what to do. Three days after we got there, a man comes in, So Jack comes in and he is a missionary from Canada. And he says, uh, I hear you're looking for doing some work for God and I said, yes. He said, well, he said, you're an answer to prayer. I said, well, that's new. I said, I've never been an answer to prayer before. I said, but it's nice. I said, what is it? And he said, well, I'm the missionary and he said, we've got one church open in the capital. He said, but we've got another building that we're renovating over the other side of the island. And he said, uh, I needed help. He said, I've been praying for somebody to come for six months. And he said, you've arrived. And he said, I want you to come and stay with m- myself and Daisy, my wife, and our three little children. And, and, he, and he took us up to this enormous big house with all kinds of rooms in it and gave us a bedroom. And so we moved in with Jack and Daisy. And... Uh, Boy, was he wonderful. Now, he taught me a few things. For instance, when we were with the Salfalis, when they put breakfast out and put toast out, I just picked up a piece of toast, put some butter on it and ate it. Jack didn't do that. Jack would pick up the toast and he would look at it through the window light and then he'd start picking at it and and and, and then he'd put the butter on it. And I'd say, what do you look up for and pick at it for? He said, well, he said, the, the bugs that they have in the, in the bakery, he said, it's running over he said with uh, with bugs and he said you'll find little bits of them in the bread you know he said but if you pick the bits out he said the bread still the bread still uh, tastes just as good you know so he said <laughs> don't worry about it so so of course we didn't we you know i i got into the habit as well picking the bread up Holding it up to the light and picking out all the the little legs and wings and things, you know, <laughs> that, that you had, and then and then butter the toast up and, and ate it, you know, that was okay. Uh, he said, "Oh, by the way," he said, "let's go down to the uh, front." He said, "Down at the warehouse on the on the front." He said, "I hear they've had uh, um, that breakfast cereal that goes snap, crackle, and pop." And I said, "Oh yeah." Uh, he said, "My kids have never had that." He said, um, "He said, let's go and get some." So we went down and. And Jack purchases a, uh, a packet. And uh, so we go back home, we tell the kids, when we put this stuff in and pour the milk on, you'll hear snap, crackle and pop. So we put the stuff in, we poured the milk on, and all that came up to the surface was a load of little black things that uh, that floated up to the oh. surface that had been in there, little little insects. And it, they all floated up to the surface on the top, and, and all the, the snap, crackle and pop sank down to the bottom, never made a sound. <laughs> no. The kids managed and so they enjoyed it, you know, it was different. And uh, so we, ha- we had fun and Jack and I got on really well and I helped him. Uh, one little incident was that he asked me to stay over on the other side of the island for one week and during the time I was there for nine weeks. And uh, he asked me to stay over one week. So we were put in with a lady who lived in this house in the middle of the jungle just a jungle clearing and there was a house there and we stayed with her. And on the Tuesday after we'd moved in on the Monday, my wife said, I'd love a bath. The lady said, don't have a bath. Said, I love a shower. She said, oh, we've got a shower. I said, you have? She said, yeah, come, come with me. So we went outside, not inside, we went outside. So there in the middle of this clearing was four posts in the, in the, in the ground set out in a square and there was a uh, tin metal on the outside, corrugated metal on the outside. One side of it was loose and had a piece of string on it. So I said, what happens? So I looked up and there's kind of all different kinds of piping joined together from the house, uh, hanging up from the tree branches and different places and it comes over to the top of this square and it's got a, a rose on the, on the end that comes from a watering can. Okay, and so she said, what you do, she said, is if your wife wants to have a shower, she gets in there, she takes all her clothes off, and she said, you lock the the, the door from the outside by shutting it and winding the string round the nail. And she said, then you go up, and she said, you turn the water on, and she said, the water will come down on her while she's standing inside that square. And I said to Winnie, I said, is that okay? And she said, well, if that's all we got, that's all we got, you know? So she gets in there, gets undressed, passes the clothes over the top. I take them. I go up. I turn the water on, and as soon as the water began to ring to run, out from the jungle comes all these different creatures—ducks uh, and and birds and running animals—and they they're all running and they hear the water running and they all run in there. With my wife, she's screaming at the top of the voice, "Get me out! Get me out! Get me out!" You know. And I said, "No, you got to stay in there until you watch. Uh, That was how she got a shower. And uh, so that was the way we had to put up with it. I mean, that was the kind of thing we went through. Um, I'd been there nine weeks, and on the Tuesday night uh, of the 10th week, uh, Jack came to me and said, "Um, I'm afraid I can't keep you any longer. He said, "Um, we're not getting enough money from Canada. He said, what are you going to do? I said, Jack, you're idea is as good as mine I said I don't have the first idea what I'm going to do so he said uh, okay well he said think about it and let me know what you're going to do I said when I find out I said I'll let you know so um, that was on the Tuesday Wednesday morning Jack comes in he'd been out somewhere and we were having breakfast uh, finishing off breakfast Jack comes bowling in. he said we've got a nice nice surprise tonight he said we're going out to dinner I said oh yeah Like I said, we'd been living on bananas for two weeks, and uh, my wife had learned how to crush them, uh, bake them, fry them, uh, do all kinds of things with them, cover them in batter, and so on and so forth, and uh, uh, like I said, she'd never never touched a banana from that day till -hmm. till now, you know. So we went to this house, and his wife is a, a Chinese woman, and she's baked about 30 different dishes, gorgeous, Beautiful. Jack and I dove in like men that had never seen food for a <laughs> hundred years. And uh, so we, we eat a big meal and we come out. And as we're coming out, the man hands my wife a small envelope. And when we get in the car, Jack's all excited. He said, uh, 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 let's see what's in there. She said, uh, OK. And she opens up the envelope and there's, there's money in there. Uh, British West Indian dollars and American dollars. And he said, we'll we'll count it when we get home. He said, good. He said, you've got some money to go with you now, you know. And I said, well, I don't know where we're going, but we've got money. And so uh, we get back. And as we approach his house, after being at the house where we'd had supper, uh, his the girl who works as a, a, a help in the house, who he employs $5 a week and all you can steal, that was his arrangement with her, um, she... Uh, <laughs> She comes out on the porchway and she says, Mr. Jack, Mr. Jack, she said, Trinidad have been on the phone. They want to talk to you. So Jack says, I can't talk to them tonight. It's too late. He said, I'll call them first thing in the morning. So next thing, next morning, Jack calls them and comes rushing in the house to where we're sitting. And he said, I've uh, booked you up to preach. And I said, where? He said, Trinidad. I said, how come? He said, they're already, he said, there's a big church down there. He said, they run about six, seven hundred. And he said, uh, uh, they have a, a, a big meeting starting on Sunday. And the man from America has sent to say he cannot, cannot make it. And they're looking for somebody to come. He said, So I've told them you'll come. I said, Thanks very much. I said, How do I get down there? Swim? It's a long way. And I said, I've got news for you, Jack. I can't swim. <laughs> So I said, I don't know what you're going to do. I said, perhaps we'll float a raft or something. So he said, uh, What about the money you got? And I said, Oh yeah. I said, uh, Let's let's see. I said, I'll tell you what. Let's go down to the air- airport thing and uh, see if we can book a plane down there. Well, he said they want you down there by Saturday morning because they are starting the meetings on Sunday. So this was, you know, this was Wednesday, and so, so he. Uh, we go down to the uh, place where we can book the tickets, and I told the lady, I said, I want a uh, uh, passage on a plane. Uh, LIAT was one of, the, uh, one of the airlines that they had there. They had like British West Indian Airlines, and they had uh, uh, American Airlines, and they also LIAT, L-I-A-T. Um, and I asked them once, I said, what does LIAT mean? And they said, usually, leave Ireland anytime. No, because you would book in for a flight at 9.30 and you would get there at 9 o'clock and you might leave there by 12. Uh, you know, that's the way it was. We we had one occasion with that particular airline when we flew from one island to another. We arrived, but our luggage never never did, you know. So when I'm supposed to be preaching at these two churches on the island and I said to them, I said, I don't have any... any Luggage, and I said, I don't have any clothes to wear besides what I'm wearing right now. They said, We'll get you something, and uh, so they come in with a shirt that would have put both me and my wife in at the same time, uh, and uh, and a pair of trousers, you know, that uh, showed about half of my leg, really. Um, and I said, You know, they're so short, and I, and I was I pre- preaching in those. They must have thought I was a real comedian, not you know, not a preacher. Uh, so we, we managed, anyways. But, but that's the kind of thing you had. Anyway, we went down to this place and we booked on Liat to go down to Trinidad, and it was supposed to be nine thirty on Saturday morning. And we let they let Trinidad know that we'd be coming on this particular flight, uh, at, uh, leaving uh, where we were uh, at nine thirty and arriving at a certain time in Trinidad, and so. We, we, we get up and we get everything done, and off we go. We go down to Trinidad. We lived like that for quite a while. We'd travel through the islands, one island after another, and every time it was a case that God would send somebody to, to pay our fare, to give us money, always enough to get us through. Not an abundance. I mean, God didn't make me rich, but there was always enough. Um... For instance, we were in one place and we'd had an invitation to go to this other place and we had to fly there at the time. And uh, so my wife said to my to me, are we all right for money to be able to get on the plane uh, at the weekend to go to this other place? And I said, uh, no. I said, we're short. Um, I said, about $325. And she said, uh, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know. I said, it's not my problem. I said, God looks after the, the finance. I don't. So I said, we'll leave it to him. Uh, I was getting to that stage now in, in myself, you know, where I could trust. And so uh, we, we preached at the church that night and we went to bed. And uh, just after midnight, we get a knock on the door in the little apartment where, next door to the church and uh, where we were staying. And a man standing there when I opened the door, and I said, yes. And he said, I was in the meeting tonight. I said, did you enjoy it? He said, yes, very much. He said, while I was in there, God told me to give you a certain amount of money. I said, he did. Uh, I said, uh, and so? He said, well, I, I thought it was too much. He said, so I decided not to give you any. And I said, oh, and you've come to tell me that? And, and he said, no. He said, on the way home, he said, "I was under such terrible conviction." He said, "I was shaking while I was trying to drive the car." He said, "So I decided to turn around and come back and give you the money that God told me to give to you." And he said, "Here it is, four hundred dollars. We were short of three hundred and twenty-five, and we had enough money to get to there." That. Now that's how God looked after us. And uh, while we were traveling through the different islands, that that's how we used to go. God would supply. Through different people, through the through the churches sometimes, and through different ways, and I would I would just book up wherever the door opened. It wasn't wasn't me looking for it. People would get in touch with us and say, "Please come to this island," or "Please come to this church," or "Please come over here and preach," and we would go. And the thing is, and I was talking to Pastor Gary about this one day. I said, "Wherever I went, and I preached." people got saved. I said it wasn't because of me. I said it was God working through me and showing me. He said you were anointed as an evangelist. Mm. He said that's why it happened. And I said yeah it was the anointing. It wasn't Joe French. Joe French was not a great preacher. Joe French was just an ordinary preacher. And I said but the results were always when I preached people got saved. And so I said you know now I'll I'll give you an introduction to some, some something very amazing that happened many years later, over 20 years later. When we arrived at the island of Barbados, I was holding meetings in the Church of God. And a man came to me after the meetings. And he said, uh, uh, Brother French, he said, uh, I would like you to come and preach for me. And I said, uh, and you are? He said, well, my name is Holmes Williams. And he said, I used to be in charge of the Canadian banking system here. And he said, uh, I gave it up to start a church because I believe God wanted me to. And he said, so far, all I've got is about 30 people and we meet in a a rented room. He said, it's not much to uh, offer you. He said, but would you come? And I said, of course I would. So I went and I stayed with him and his wife, Rosie, and his two young sons. And we preached there on the Wednesday and the Sunday. Now, something comes up over 20 years later that's quite miraculous, and it's all to do with Holmes Williams. So the next time that I talk about it, I'll tell you the marvelous story and how miraculously God moved not just me and Holmes Williams, but other people as well to be involved in getting me back to Barbados and going there every year for six years. And I'd like to share that with you later on.
0: Well, I'd absolutely love that. I thank you, uh, Pastor French, so much for coming today. What an amazing story you shared with us. So today, we've been talking with Pastor Joe French, and we've gotten a glimpse into someone's life that God has worked through, has touched, and someone who has allowed himself to be led and influenced by God and the incredible blessings that have come through that surrender. Not every situation looks like something that we would have planned, but God always has a plan, and he works out the details to fit his plan. It's up to us to go along with God's plan and then watch God do the miracles. This has been a Veritas Resurgence broadcast, and today we've been so blessed by Pastor French. Please take a moment. And subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to visit our website at vrbroadcast.org, where you can find more teaching and ask questions of the show and our guests. Also find us on Facebook at a voice calling in the wilderness. And do us a favor, recommend the podcast to your friends and family. And thank you again for listening and have a blessed day.